Welcome to another episode of the Dynamic Thriving Podcast. Um, this is season two, which is Unmuted Voices. And I am Marianne Pack, your host, spiritual medium, author, publisher, and joy advocate, like guiding you into all things life transformational. And today I have my beautiful guest, Elizabeth Hill, with me. And we are going to talk about her story of Unmuted Voices. Welcome, Elizabeth. Oh, it's so good to see you, Marianne. I love having this be the my first call of the day. Talking right. with you is such a joy. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I love it. So again, we're talking about unmuted voices, but it's not necessarily a physical thing. Um, you may be able to use your voice in different ways, but are you really expressing your life, expressing who you are in the world authentically and and as your own sovereign, um, ruling and guiding your life and listening to your intuition and, and expressing it. So you may be really good expressing in words, but you may not use your voice or you can, um, you know, express life in different ways, but we're not always true to who we really are. And so this unmuted voices encompasses all of that. And we're going to jump right in, Elizabeth, and um when did you realize that it wasn't safe to really speak up or, and, and you needed to mute your voice? Well, when was that, that you kind of realized, Ooh, this isn't safe. I, I, I've got to kind of pull back and play small here. Well, I think there, I can think of a few different times in my life, but probably the biggest one was being raised as a Jehovah's witness where mm -hmm. you really cannot express an opinion that differs from what the, the doctrine is if you would express an op opinion that was different, I mean, you'd actually be pulled aside and like put brought down to the basement with elders and they'd say, okay, so some of your beliefs are, you know, they are apostate beliefs. They would be identified as something dangerous. And, and then people would, um, you know, he wouldn't be allowed to talk to you if you, if it was something where you thought differently than what the belief system was, right? So that, and I I don't think I really realized this until you asked the question that way. That's probably the first time that that happened. Because before that, I was very, very loud talking to everybody. <laughs> you know, I was the little kid on the when I was like three or four that talked to everybody I could see and mm -hmm. kind of the way that I was. And then Gradually, it did. Yes, I, I chose my things to speak up about. I did um, and did talk back to um, some elders in certain circumstances. But um, that is the first time that I realized mm -hmm. that, oh, this really isn't safe. I could lose all of my friends um, if mm -hmm. I spoke out in this way. Absolutely. Um, I... I can relate to some of that um, with my story. But so what were those indoctrinated beliefs that that really um, that you were taught that made you? What, what were some of those actual indoctrinated beliefs? Because for you, it was on a religious side. Sometimes it's not religious at all. Maybe it comes from your family. You only do this a certain way and you have to live small in that box or you're, you know, you're you suffer the repercussions or it might be your society or your culture, but you know, what were those indoctrinated beliefs that affected you? 
Well, I mean, a few things come, to, there are specific things that like you can, no one could be bisexual or gay. And the, and if you mm -hmm. said that it was okay, that, that that's not all right, right? So it's, um, that that's one thing. Um, but it would be any kind of thing that was a doctrine that we just like, if I said, actually, I think people, everybody goes to heaven instead of the 144,000 that, you know, you guys have decided to go to heaven. Um, that's a thing that would have been, no, that doesn't, you can't believe that. That's not no. what, what we teach. Um, but I think it's more of, uh, I, there's some more like cultural things that were indoctrinated um, from there and and from my family too. Uh, my mother didn't work outside the home. And so mm -hmm. I didn't really ever expect, even though my father never gave me that, my father wanted me to be prepared to work and he would bring me to work with him and things like that. But I, def I still, as an adult, feel guilty <laughs> when my children are here and I'm working. And it's ridiculous. Like I need yeah. to take care of my family. I should feel good that I'm able to do that in the way that I do. But um, also this idea that money, having money is bad. Mm -hmm. is that's come up for me. That's a definitely indoctrinated, like, oh, if we have money, we feel bad that we have money and we should just give it away, which is coming from a loving place of giving money away, but not if you're not taking care of your home and using it for, you know, good things. And so I, I had to kind of shift that realization too of, oh, I do good things when I have money. It's okay for me to have money. Like it's good. I don't, I, it doesn't need to be just flowing out of me. Right. Um, so. Yeah. I so relate to that because that, you know, mommy staying home actually was, very, you know, in my family, in the, the way my family interpreted the religious beliefs, you know, that mommies were supposed to stay home. Daddies were the only ones who were supposed to work mm. and make money. So mommies don't make money. Mommies stay home and take care of the kids and the hubby and the, you know, all that. So yeah, shifting that has been really difficult for me to, to allow myself as a woman, as a mother, as a wife, that I'm allowed to make money. Mm, mm. And so, yeah, so I, I understand some of that indoctrination of, of how that could make you play small. So, and, yeah, so I, that also makes me think of, um, there was a real culture around not going to college and not going mm -hmm. to school, like not preparing which actually, as an organizational standpoint, when you look at it, that's making a whole group of people that are just dependent on you, like the structure of the organization to learn, right? Um, and and so I wasn't preparing, even though I come from a very educated family. I come from family that actually was, my great-grandfather was president of a college and a lot of the family worked at the college, right? So my, on my father's side, very educated. Um, and, but I was not to go because there was like a pride in not going that we didn't need it, that somehow we work like, like low jobs and that, you know, God loves us for that. There's mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, even my choice of college, I mean, I love the sciences, 
biology and archaeology and stuff like that. As a little kid, I always said I wanted to be a mad scientist. And, um, you know, but sciences were a no-no to really study because those people were all atheists and they would take you away from God. Yes. And so I couldn't choose that for college. So I chose a Bible college and I have a biblical studies degree instead of what I really wanted to study <laughs> the sciences. So that, yeah. that I, I totally relate to that as far as, um, yeah. you know, so having needed your voice, how yeah. did it affect like your relationships? Again, we talked about finances, you know, your career choice, maybe the college, um, your health, because health was a big issue for me. I created a lot of sickness in my body or your spirituality. How did having to mute affect some of those those things? I mean, it definitely chose, it selected, helped me select my career. I mean, when I went to college, I went to college to work with children because I didn't, mm -hmm. that, and I liked kids. All I, you know, my main goal was to have children as an adult. And I'm glad that was my main goal because I have two fabulous children, but I didn't really even think about anything else, honestly, other than like growing, growing up, having kids and then, you know, serving God, right. Whatever, however that shook out, that was the path. And so I went to college for that and then um, ended up leaving about a year and a half in, I stopped being a Jehovah's witness and got adopted into the theater family. I started doing theater, which was my absolute passion. I loved it so much. So I ended up changing my major a few times <laughs> and I did um, theater and psychology. It was a, a double major. I studied psychology completely to help figure out my brain and like mm -hmm. what, what was going on in there because I was severely depressed, unwell, sl wasn't sleeping you know, really had a lot of physical problems. Um, I thought I was completely crazy. Um, and the theater was so healing for me because it helped me. I didn't find my voice. I found, I got to be different people. And at that time I was just like, I don't even know who I am anymore. I had left this entire like system of belief. Um, like who the heck am I? And I being on stage and trying on these different <laughs> people mm -hmm. was really powerful, but it wasn't me really expressing in some ways, I guess it was, I was able to express in that way. It's a very physical thing to be doing also yeah. very physical. And the, the, um, the, how we were trained at the school that I was at was very physical, like movement based. So we did a lot of that, which was very good for me um, from that standpoint. I've definitely had times too, when I was married. So fast forward, like when I was married, um, I had physical expressions of like, there was a lot that I didn't say, like I wasn't happy being married. Like we had, we, we still have a great um, relationship with raising our children. Like we get along very well, but there was a lot of things that just weren't my needs. I couldn't even express what I needed or say it. And I, you know, and, um, I got like all these sore throats because of it. I had lung, I had like allergies. I thought they were allergies. I'm so anti-medicine, like I, not anti-medicine, but I, you know, I'll pop the vitamin C's all day long before taking something. And I ended up with, I was on it. Uh, steroids for these lung problems, like, you know, um, 
And I know looking back afterwards, I went, of course I was having sore throats. I couldn't, I didn't feel like, I felt like I was trapped that I couldn't say what I needed or wanted or that it wasn't working. Um, but I think, you know, we, we do, I chose professions like in the nonprofits. I, I went and got my master's in social work because I felt like I needed to help everybody on earth. Yes. <laughs> you know, if I didn't, if I couldn't be a voice for me, I could be a voice for somebody else, you know? So. Yeah. That's what I hear from some of the folks, you know, they were able to find their voice for others mm. before they could end up finding their voice for themselves. Right. You know, so it, it's almost like <laughs> you have to practice a little bit um, before you can actually tune it in and, and use it for yourself. Hmm. So you said that you left your religion in, in college the first year after you were in college? It was, so I, t I had taken a, um, a, I think it was a year and a half off. Well, I didn't know, I didn't think I was going to college at all. Like right. That wasn't the plan. A year and a half after I graduated, I re I decided I did want to go to college. And um, so I started at a community college. And then about really a year into that, I started having major crises. And I don't, not like crises of faith of, um, and I don't really, I don't know that the influence, I wasn't hanging out with anybody from college. I don't think it was, you know, it, I don't think it was that I learned anything that opened me up and it, it could have been, um, but I ended up leaving then. Um, and that was really just, woo. Um, I did lose, I, I had a boyfriend who um, actually now does religious trauma work with people. Um, it, he left with, he, we left at the same time. We were in different um, congregations, but we left at the same time. So I had him. And, but that's it. And I'm grateful my mother still talked to me because he, she could have decided not to. A lot of parents won't mm -hmm. speak to their children when they leave. Um, so I was grateful for that. Um, but yeah, it was during, it was during college. And then I transferred to another school and that's where I met Jim and Jamie Williams, who are two of my good friends and Jamie, where, you know, they both do work with, with my company as well. Um, we did a lot of theater together and, but I had to re completely rebuild yes. my life. Mm -hmm. um, and it was kind of, I was a little wild. It was just college, but <laughs> I didn't know who I was. So it was, it was a pretty wild time. So what were some of the aha moments? I mean, Usually, I mean, sometimes there can be a boom, this is the moment and, and I have to shift something now, mm. or it's a culmination of little ahas all the way along the way to end up finding your voice and un unmuting your voice. What were some of those? Or how did that happen for you? Well, I think I'd actually, I'd like to talk about this during the pandemic. Because I think that this is when I have gotten my voice as me. I'm going to start crying. There you go. That's all right. I do it all the time. <laughs> oh my god! I think you know I'm 43 now, and I think it did take that that long to get to that space. Um, but you know, before 
before the pandemic, you know, I've been in like the, when I started doing life coaching, I've done a lot of different things in, in my career, all kind of oriented with making the world a better place with people, right? But different variations of that. And um, so like six years ago, maybe it was, I was maybe seven, um, decided, okay, I'm building this life coaching business. And I also want to do like lots, I was teaching yoga that time and meditation. I need to start meeting people. And I went to some, started going to networking meetings, which was absolutely terrifying for me. Absolutely terrifying. I was, I'd gotten very introverted. I don't really know. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm an introvert because I need to take a lot of time by myself, hmm. on my own. And I, and I also do feel really comfortable when I know everybody and they're my people that I, like, I want to go hang out with folks, but walking into a room where I don't know anybody, I can do it. But it, at that time before pandemic, I couldn't be myself. I was not myself. I was like, Robot Liz, like, here I am. I will share nothing about me. And here's the little thing I do. You know, I just couldn't express. And um, that's how I showed up when I met um, Dr. Davia and her Ladies Power Lunch. Like, that was one of the first ones that I got involved with. Um, and gradually, I got a little bit more comfortable with people and talking about my business and things like that. I did a few lives and yeah, I taught yoga for years and I was very comfortable teaching yoga. It took me like four years to feel comfortable in front of a room, but that's because the whole room's got their eyes closed. I could do that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but that also is not fully me teaching yoga because it's, it is me, but it is a, like I'm guiding people through a thing. Right. So it's not me just having a conversation with people. Mm -hmm. um, but during the pandemic, what happened was, oh, hello, we're all in Zoom, right? So we're all doing, I felt so comfortable in the comfort of my, my chair that I'm sitting in now with my, I would have, I don't have it on today because it's summer, but my cozy blanket that I could pet if I felt stressed. <laughs> during a meeting, like it, I could deal with all my anxiety things in a way and I could talk. And then, so I started my podcast. I never in a million years thought I'd have a podcast. I never in a million years thought I'd be talking to you on this thing, right? Like I never, never would have thought that I'd do this. Um, and um, I just got gradually more comfortable, more comfortable. And now, as the, as the world's opening back up in some ways, and we're doing more in-person things, I've I found, so probably like this past six months, I can walk into a room, first of all, I might know a lot of the people there, so I feel more comfortable, and I feel more comfortable being myself with them. I've gotten on stages and talked in on stage <clears throat> as me, not as... <laughs> Elizabeth Proctor from the crucible, which I could pull off, right? Like me standing up as, as me and just be having real conversations with people without it feeling like, you know, I was putting on something yeah. else or like had to hide part parts of me or whatever. Um, so I'm grateful for that whole pandemic thing. Cause <laughs> Because for me, it's helped me grow and feel more comfortable in myself in a way that I don't know how it would have happened otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, 
and we don't need to find out. So yes, <laughs> it turned out good for you. Um, yeah. and, and that's it. I mean, there's so many times I think even, even during that, that pandemic time, um, if it wasn't, I mean, I know it adversely affected a lot of lives, but for me, you know, I was that um, more solitary person, mm -hmm. but it, it, it did bring me out of my shell a little bit more because I did get to be on Zooms. I did get to start networking more um, with people that, you know, I would have never met and um, expanded, you know, my peeps, my tribe, my, my friends. Um, so I enjoyed that. And, and like you, it was like, oh, I could stay in my cozy home, but I could still be with people, mm -hmm. you know, and I could share ideas and share thoughts and, and get a little more visible than I would normally in my little rural farm life. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So when you started to shift, what, what were some of the other things? Did you have, um, you know, the beliefs, did you have to change some of the beliefs? Did you have to install new ones, you know, as you were kind of moving out of indoctrination and moving into more of truly who you are and what sparks your soul and what resonates with you, you know, um, how did you become your own sovereign? How did you start living joyfully? It is, I love this. So it's, it feels like it's been a gradual unfolding, right? As throughout my life. And <clears throat> I know, and I've shared this in, in several of my books, this idea of, I feel like I've lived, I don't know how many lives, like seven different, se completely separate lives as I've grown and changed. And, and it's all been a, I mean, I have, I feel like I get messages every day from mm -hmm. my guides that, you know, are just like there for me saying, this isn't for you. I mean, I had a moment when I was in the, um, we call it, it the kingdom hall when you're Joe's witness, that's mm -hmm. where the church, what the churches are called. And I, I, uh, I just went, there's silence. I was like, there's silence here. And I felt like this much as God is not here for you. And it wasn't that God wasn't here. It was like, God is not, you don't find God here. Mm -hmm. You, you like, I'm not talking to you here because you need to go somewhere else to find it. Right. So I, I'm very grateful. Some people that leave that, that system, that system of belief don't have a spiritual belief after they hate religion. They hate, you know, they come out not, not very well or health, you know, healthy because of what, what, you know, leaving, they feel like they've left everything. I was able at that time to really shift into, um, I read just everything I could get my hands on. Um, Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama helped me a lot. I found Thich Nhat Hanh very early that had Buddhist like thoughts about um, like how you, how you meditate and approach each life as a as a miracle, like each day as a miracle. Yes. And so I found that. So I was constantly at that time having all these spiritual experiences. You know, I'd be having the worst day going, I can't go on like this, this life, I can't go on. And then I'd see 
a giant rainbow across the sky and I'd say, okay, you got me. It's all right. Right. Um, and, um, I don't even remember the question you (laughs) asked, but yeah, it has been, it has been a growing as I find my voice and allowing, I had, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I'm up for this life of allowing these changes. Like I did dissolve a marriage after 12 years. Right. Like, and that was, you know, I, I chose to do that. Um, I have had relationships that I needed to dissolve also after that, um, changing where we lived, you know, moving and, um, shaking things up over, over and over again, changing careers, leaving the nonprofit and, you know, creating this business. And because I've been able to do that, like be willing to be like, okay, I'm getting this call to make books mm-hmm. <laughs> or this call to um, do this. And I've been willing to follow that, even if I didn't really know how it was going to shake out. My life is so much better, like a thousand times better now, yeah. you know, um, living in my my apartment in this old historic quirky building that I'm in with my with my two amazing teenage kids um, and having freedom within that, you know, is it's just so cool, right? Like um, doing this work that I absolutely love every day. Yeah. But if I hadn't been willing to like let everything fall apart over and over again, <laughs> You know, I wouldn't be here. And I'm so grateful to like pass Liz. I'm like, oh, Liz, good job. You did good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and you just jumped ahead a little bit to the next question. (laughs) Jump ahead. What I do. Because I always say our mess is our message. And so this mess that you went through, that you transformed and healed through, you know, has become your message. So now, how do you use your unmuted voice in the world today? I know, but I want you to tell everybody. Oh, yes. So (laughs) there is an expression, right? Um, No mud, no lotus, right? So I love this expression so much. Um, And Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't be able to do what I do 100% Mm -hmm. if I wasn't, if I didn't have this experience of transformation in my own personal life and have thought, I mean, honestly, it's like the death of me over and over again, right? It's kind of creepy, but it is. And um, so when I, my days are talking to people every day about their, you know, their things of their stories, their, their um, times that were challenging and how they transformed and then helped other people from that place. Right. So those conversations are okay. Bad stuff happened to us or we did bad stuff ourselves or sometimes a combination, right? Ownership of that. And I'm going to use what I learned from this to help other people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we, we publish books that I help them write them. Mm -hmm. I have a team of people that help get the books out. Um, And we have podcasts. We're, um, moving into doing some video, more videos and things like that and events. So we're um, able to share people's stories. Absolutely. And I think the, 
like people can publish books, right? Like this is a thing that people can do. I think what differentiates what I do is that I'm able to be with people no matter what the story is mm. and actually hear it. It might be a lot of people that the first time they're telling the story is to, to me sometimes, or they tell me parts that, you know, other people don't know and they aren't putting in a, in a book, but I am that safe place for all of it. Yeah. And I feel so grateful I can do that. Like I make jokes that I'm a confessional. I make jokes that I am a confessional. Like you can tell me, I will absolve it, right? Um, but, uh, and I also, I do recognize that there's a time and place for how people unmute their voices, yes. right? So I don't ever pressure someone to be like, okay, well, this is your story. You get to tell all of it and force them to tell all of their story in the book. Like it's mm -hmm. just not, it's unnecessary, mm -hmm. right? And it's too, we don't need to do that to ourselves, yeah. right? People ask me, well, how much should I put in or whatever? And it can be a gradual thing. I've done this myself. So I've done many collaborative books, right? With different mm -hmm. people. And I also get to write in some of the collaborative books and I share a little story in one and a little story in another, right? So that I, I can be like, okay, now it's safe for me to talk about this story in public. Now yep. it's safe for me to tell this story in public. And um, I like doing that for people too, because it's not like you don't have to take this deep dive of unmuted voices and like do the TED talk tomorrow about your childhood trauma, right? Like you don't, that it doesn't have to, it can actually be a safe thing. To mm -hmm. Um, while you're pushing your edges a little bit each time. Yeah. Um, Talk about the two, the, the healing aspect that it comes from writing a book. I mean, what your clients go through as they, you know, pour out some of this vulnerability. Right, right. Yeah. And I know you know this from, from writing and from, and from um, working with people. So it is a very special place when we can be that for someone, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So um, when when people and they don't know that they're signing up for this, and I am a little hesitant. <laughs> like when people come and do a book, some you know sometimes people do it for a healing process. Some people I work with a lot of therapists, right? Mm. They think they're all. They often, th and I have my master's in social work, so I like, I, I'm in this this book. They think I'm healed from this. I, I'm ready to talk about this now and mm -hmm. tell this, whatever. No matter what, when you go to write the story, yes. it brings it all up again and it does provide a space to heal it more, to realize, a lot of people realize things that, oh, I, they think, I've had people that they, um, come in kind of a victim-y place, which makes sense when you hear their stories, right? Like, oh, no, what? Oh, man, these things happen. And then they, as they're writing, they actually come to a different place on that, which is really interesting to see. And then there's another level of healing when they go to tell the story. Because when you publish a book, when I first published my first book, I didn't want to talk about it. My family would ask me questions and I was like, 
why are you talking to me? I don't want to talk about my book. <laughs> I was very weird about it. So um, my next book, I got a little better at talking about, talking about it. But it is, it's a whole other level of, um, you know, the books we, we were putting out are about memoir transformation, the darkest things we've been through, right? Yes. So it's um, when we get to share that story with the world, the world holds it up with us. We don't have to hold it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's, whoa, so much freedom and light is available in that space. Oh, totally. So cool. Totally. Yeah, that's always so. I, I love to hear those stories about, you know, even, even you know, speakers that have been guests that have been on the this podcast talking about unmuted voices, they'll peel back layers that they never dreamed they were going to talk about. And they'll tell me later, that wasn't the <laughs> direction I thought I was going to go with my story. Right. It's just like another just layer comes off because we don't get a gold star or certificate and one and done. Here's your healed. You healed this area of life. <laughs> So you right. got the certificate now. No. Yes. It's a journey. It's a it's a constant, uh, you know, a spiral upward. Life is always a spiral upward. So we may come past that topic again, but we're at a higher level of healing. So then when we round the corner again, another layer gets peeled off and we go in a different direction. So I love that you are helping and holding the space for people to, you know, share their story um mention what your mission statement is because i like your mission statement oh yeah so we're making the world <clears throat> we're making the world a more loving and peaceful place one book at a time yes i adore that mission statement yeah. yeah so this is how you can connect with liz greenheartliving.com and it's also in the show notes for your convenience um, you know, if you have something and you feel a resonance with Liz, set up a call with her, talk to her, go look at her website, you know, find her on social or make a comment here under the, the video and, and she'll get back with you. Um, so I want to thank everybody for joining us and thank you, Liz, for sharing your work um, with us and your story about Unmuted Voices. Um, because I know that this is such an important topic in the world. And you can find our website at wearejoybooks.com uh, for all of the books that we are also involved in and what is offered as far as um, um, authors to come and, and work with us too. But again, I'm going to put up Liz's uh, greenheartliving.com. It's a beautiful website. And um, she's such a gracious. I worked with her to publish my first book. And then she has graciously uh, allowed me to help her in her business um, as I'm training under her and, and learning and picking her brain and, and getting to know the publishing industry. So I thank you so much, Liz. I appreciate you. Thank you. I'm very grateful for our partnership. Yes, yes, yes. Do you have any closing words of wisdom you would like to leave us with? Oh, just that if you feel <clears throat> called to write, answer that call. The world will give you every reason not to. 
yes. right? It will give you millions of distractions. And please write the book that the muse is like sneaking up to you and saying, hey, sh 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 here's yes. the book. Because you that once you get that that word back from people, once you've published and shared the story and people turn back to you and say, thank you for writing that. I needed that. Every moment is of writing is worth it. Absolutely. I love that. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Liz. I appreciate you taking your time to share your life and your love with us. And uh, remember, everyone, you are joy looking for a way to express. So you may want to contact us and help you express it with words into a book. Mm -hmm. We appreciate you. Love you all. Thanks. We'll see you next time.